This episode of the Ask the Bastards podcast is being brought to you by Basecrete. On this week's podcast, we begin a waterproofing series with expert Ken Milbury of Lunata Bay Tile. This multiple episode discussion on waterproofing will cover the basics along with some technical material with your host, Master Dave Penton. Enjoy this moisture-free episode. Hello and welcome to the Ask the Masters podcast. This podcast is dedicated to discussions about the design and construction of water shapes. The hosts of the show are all certified SWD masters who represent the leading builders and designers within the water shaping industry today. All right, welcome into the show today. I am Dave from Fluid Dynamics, and we have the world-renowned, world expert, Ken Milbury in waterproofing. Uh, Ken is the uh, the chief technical guy at Lenata Bay. What's your official title? For official that? title would be director of technical services for Lenata Bay Tile. So I got to know you um, years ago when you were uh, working for uh, Pool Corp and. Um, uh, NPT, uh, we got to know each other just through uh, through working in LA on some of the projects and that. And so, to me, you're always going to be the waterproofing guy. Uh, whenever I have a challenging waterproofing question or something that I see in a spec, you're always the first phone call that I make. So, um, you know, kind of introduce yourself, kind of how you came to be where you are, and and uh, and why you're embarrassed by that term. <laughs> Well, I've never liked the term expert because um, I believe we're always learning in this industry and we're always trying to move forward in progression. So never really use the term expert. Um, I just enjoy waterproofing. I enjoy the challenges that come with it, the material compatibility aspects, and actually providing a product that's going to work and be compatible with your finished products. So kind of the theory and actually doing the testing is where I, I have a lot of fun. Um, came about it because back when I first started in the pool industry, not an embarrassing thing, but I actually thought it was a little bit of archaic technology in building a pool. And things that were used in other industries like the Concrete Institute and in, in building commercial buildings and things like that, we weren't using in the pool industry. Right. So I basically had some projects and I had some pool builders that we were working with and they actually were asking me waterproofing questions because they had nothing but failures with the products that were available. So um, that's kind of how you got into, uh, you know, waterproofing and everything. Um, uh, I, I, I want to sit down. I, I think we've got, you know, I keep joking that we've got five podcasts uh, that you and I can pull out because we talk you know, for hours on end. Uh, but for for this first part of uh, this series that we're going to do, um, I really want to kind of just define the terms, uh, kind of uh, let our listeners understand um, what is waterproofing, what are the different well, kinds. Well, then we have to and... stop using the word waterproofing. Okay. Why is that? Because actually what we do and the products that we have available to us today are actually damp proofing products. The... Explain the difference. The actual definition for waterproofing is to stop the transmission of moisture over an infinite amount of time. Mm. So we can't measure infinite. So therefore, I can't really see waterproofing being used as a term. Okay. So damp proofing is the actual term used in the International Concrete Institute, in the ICRI. They actually use damp proofing. Okay. 
Uh, one of the, let's just start with the super basics. Um, one of the big misconceptions within the pool industry is that plaster is a waterproofing, damp proofing, whatever uh, uh, component, and that couldn't be more false. It's water resistant. I will give them that. Um, watertight is a great term that we use when we talk about pool plaster. We always talk about watertight. Um, it's sand and cement, and alone, even compacted, condensed, they're still going to absorb water. Sure. Um, cement actually needs water to hydrate and, and cure. And cure. Yeah, the, uh, but you go into uh, National Plaster Council's, uh, their paperwork uh, and everything, and they say that they're not a waterproofing agent. They're very, very clear on that, yet I don't think uh, a lot of people in the industry really kind of understand that. Well, when I first got in the industry, if we go way back in time, I was told plaster was waterproof. Mm. And that's when I said, wait a sec, plaster is not on its own waterproof, and therefore neither is a shell. And therefore, if we're putting these two together above a structure, that started to pique my interest in, on how we were going to, to solve these things. Yeah, and that's kind of where, uh, as my company has grown, um, that's, that's where waterproofing has become much more of a, um, you know, a, a concern of mine. You know, we're building a pool on the second floor of a house, you know, and you have four million dollars worth of artwork directly underneath your pool you need to be darn sure that that pool is not going to leak and just plastering the pool is not enough yeah you never brought me in on an easy one <laughs> exactly <laughs> but that's what keeps us both going isn't it the it, fun it, ones it is it is and, and to know that people actually think you know they don't think about the eighty thousand gallons of water above a million dollar piece of artwork yeah yeah you know the guy that wanted to park his bugatti underneath the pool mm-hmm yeah. And put a 10-foot window. Um, I think we've had some good ones, um, some fun ones. But, yes, you're absolutely right. That's where we don't have – we don't want to take the liability. Sure. So let's start uh, kind of at the very beginning in this one. Um, uh, TCNA and some of the codes that apply here and some of the language within those codes that uh, call out for damp proofing, waterproofing, whatever we're calling it, um, and, and uh, help us understand where in those codes we can find some of the definitions. And then I really want to get through uh, and discuss all of the different types of waterproofing, rigid, cementitious, highly modified, just all of that, just to bring our uh, listeners up to speed. Long question, but we'll try to answer. Um, <laughs> um, we always go back with waterproofing from what our final finish is going to be. So if our final finish is tile or stone, we're going to defer to the Tile Council of North America standard of P602. Okay. And that is actually written for submerged application. Um, they do have partial and fully clad sides of that that standard. Okay, and and so uh, within that, so you have uh, partially clad, which is probably 95% of the pools that are out there, a typical waterline tile, uh, and then a plaster or something below it, uh, as opposed to fully clad, which is going to be an all tile pool, which is, you know, a real small segment of the marketplace. Correct. So we always start with, with when we talk about waterproofing, we always talk about what are your final finishes. So we're going to look at you know, is it a fully clad? Is it a partially clad? Do you have a raised bond beam? Do you have negative side pressure on a raised bond beam? Mm. Um, one thing that the tile industry and other industries have yet to do is, is identify the critical areas of a pool. Okay. 
So in other words, where do we need to use waterproofing? Whether it's a plaster finish, whether it's, in a, and I just said waterproofing, but it should have been damp proofing, so I will correct myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, to damp proof these projects accordingly, um, so that we actually get the best performance out of our finished products and our pools. Yeah. So, you know, um, you said a term that people might not be uh, too familiar with either. Um, negative side water pressure, uh, positive side water pressure. So uh, can you define that a little bit more? Because that was always, for me, that was real confusing until the light finally went off in my head, uh, you know, at the very beginning. Yeah, we always talk about negative and positive side waterproof. And positive side is always going to be the face that's actually covered in the water. The negative side will always be the side the water's flowing over. Yeah. So we're always pulling from positive to negative side when there's a heat source on the other side. But it's really important to keep the water from penetrating into the substrate. So we always want to stop it first on the positive side. Okay. Uh, yeah, you've got it that way. But uh, say like... Like we're building a pool right on Newport Harbor right now. And so literally the pool itself, the shell of the pool is sitting with seawater all around it. And so the, the negative side is going to be that water that is sitting on the backside of my shotcrete shell. You know, that will eventually migrate through. And that's really where a lot of the challenges come in, especially like raised bond beams and things like that, where the water is migrating through and then pushing off potentially your waterproofing or damp proofing membranes or whatever. And so the delamination point is coming uh, even behind, it's coming through like the shotcrete shell itself. Correct, and absolutely. I mean, we face, if we know where the moisture is coming from, we can stop it. Um, the givens are where our water is going to be. Okay. Okay, where we're actually gonna place the water and what our water levels are. The things that we sometimes don't really get into is, let's say we're doing a high water level project where we have water level that we know we're pumping the pool when we're shooting shotcrete. Mm -hmm. So we know we have to address that at some point. So how do we address which, what we would have is two positive sides within the same structure? Okay. Or possibly. Because mm -hmm. you could actually have, you know, negative side intrusion coming through the bottom. But in some cases that would, and you could consider that a positive side. Okay. Yeah. So you need to be treating that, uh, you know, just as uh, importantly. Uh, and so you can't just be looking at, you have to look at the holistic system. You can't just be looking at, here's the surface of the shotcrete and I'm applying to that. You have to, you have to kind of notice everything around. And I think that's where a lot of people get in trouble is they don't take into account cause some of the environmental factors surrounding the pool itself. There's no one size fits all. Exactly. And there are no two projects that are ever the same. Um, there's a lot that, you know, we look at when we go out to a project that some people wouldn't look at, but I've never seen two projects that are identical as I've been doing this too long. <laughs> yeah. Even within the same, you know, the same, um, uh, site, uh, you know, we 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 just finished one up where we had a, uh, a basement spa, you know, that is every bit of 20 feet below grade and then a rooftop pool and then a water feature on the other side of the yard that's actually sitting in grade so just in this one particular project we had kind of all three different environments uh, where we had to treat the waterproofing differently in each individual one well i've even seen it in some of the projects that you know you've done where you've actually had two different environments just from going from the back of the house to the side of the house sure Yep. which brings in a whole different, you know, environmental conditions and, and temperatures. Now we're going to have a quick word from Basecrete. Vito with Basecrete. 
Vito, talk to me a little bit about Basecrete and where you got started and, and when the business was formed. Well, great. Thank you, uh, Rick. Um, good to talk to you again. Well, my whole background comes from the cement industry. If you want to go way back, um, my father was a masonry contractor and um, decided that uh, I use a trade. Um, so I learned to trade. Um, I, and then, of course, being in the cement part of it, I wanted to uh, learn as much as I possibly could. So I worked for my father for many years and paid my way through uh, um, uh, taking different courses with uh, concrete structural engineering and, and structural manufacturing. I started manufacturing in, back in 1988, struggled for a few years. I worked on uh, many patents that I have now in the cement technology industry and um, started to um, manufacture waterproofing, which kind of came across, I came across it kind of by accident. What do you, what do you guys provide to uh, the industry as far as training and application processes? Well, uh, we have a uh, very good question. We do certifications. We have 22 uh, uh, folks that work for us all over the country, including Canada, France, Italy, Africa, and soon to, uh, uh, what's the latest country? Anyways, we're working all over the place. I think it's Australia. And we have trained certified applicants, so we can go out and do certifications. We also do training, and you know, there's more of a demand for us to do that, and we're trying to find another way to do that. We keep hiring more people. We keep expanding, keep growing. Working where I do most of my work out in the desert, like currently it's going to be 112 degrees today in Arizona and, and about less than 10% humidity. Do I have anything to worry about with your product? Do I need to protect it in that process or can it, can it manage those kind of weather extremes? Uh, no, and that's another very good point. When you're using pure water, yes, uh, it has to be protected. But because of the type of polymers and polymers in general, you're dispersing some of the water. So you don't have to worry. It's air cured and it's not moisture cured like concrete. Concrete has to be moisture cured where basically does not. Basically is air cured. So being in a dry, dry ambient temperature is actually a better curing process than being in an over, overly moist situation. That's correct. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, we, we just pre-dampen the walls to make sure you get better implosion on the material to suck it in even further. Um, but yeah, again, it's air cured. Your air temperature is everything. And um, it doesn't flash uh, like you do with working with plasters and, and other materials out there. And there, there's a lot of other materials that are being used out there right now of polyurethane type systems that they're waterproofing. Um, and I'm a firm believer, and I'll go to my grave saying that it has to be a cementitious waterproofing material if you're tiling or plaster. Uh -huh. does, your, does your base creed even act as a, as a anti-fracture membrane? Yes, it does, yes. And we also have a meshing system. We do have a truly uh, a, a, a system. You know, from the colloidal silicates to the mesh, to the transition areas, to the pipe penetrations. We do have a system for it and um, anti-fracture, yes. Um, so if you have an extended beam, for instance, you need to add a cap, we, you know, we always suggest that you wrap it with mesh encapsulate it. So it sticks to, it all becomes more monolithic. And then um, you can do your tile or plaster right over top of that. Uh, define a little bit what um, the P602 um, in the TCNA, uh, kind of get into a little bit of the language of that and explain that a little bit. Well, it's inter interesting with P602 is that it doesn't just apply, and a lot of people think it applies just to glass tile. Okay, yeah. Um, so to be very clear, any type of tile, stone, or mosaic that's going on a pool actually should comply with that recommendation or standard. 
I want to stop you right there because if there's one thing that the pool industry misses, it's that. Uh, Because the misnomer that everybody has is you need to just do waterproofing, damp proofing for glass tile. Everything else is fine. uh, But per the actual code, the Tile Council of North America, no matter what, it's supposed to have a membrane of some sort. Correct. Correct. It actually starts off with a membrane. And recently, they actually added more components to the system. So instead of making simpler, it's actually gotten a you know a little farther down in steps. We actually got a couple more steps. Um, trying to make the materials that we have actually, you know, in combination work better for the pool industry. Okay. Um, they adopted the colloidal silicates hmm. um, into the actual standard because they were being used by pool builders as a treatment. Sure. And a good one and, and, a, and a relevant one that's, that, that should be utilized. Yeah, so that's actually as a May... So in other words, the first step in the first part of P602 is we talk about, well, we talk about environment and and things like that. We talk about um, structure. We talk about, you know, actually tenting, tenting the job, controlling the environment. There's a lot of that language in there, but the actual first layer is cementitious waterproofing. Okay. Okay. And it says may be over a colloidal silicate. Okay. Okay. So, um, so just in real down and dirty nuts and bolts what does p602 require uh, starting with the shell and kind of build your way out all the way to the tile finish so we're going to start we'll start at the shell so the shell may be treated with a colloidal silicate and then we go rigid waterproofing bonded mortar bed an optional flexible or highly flexible cementitious membrane thin set tile grout okay so that's the that's the progression all the way out. That's the steps from start to finish. What are the non-negotiables uh, that because that's where I feel like most of the industry is is missing things uh, that the things that you have to do. Some things are optional, but the things that you actually have to. And so, in my job now as you know working in the glass tile industry, um, one thing that is not optional is not using expansion joints. Hmm. Um, what I find is not only us, but it's the setting material manufacturers that are requiring them also. So it's not just the tile industry and the tile manufacturers, it's actually the setting material manufacturers as well requiring soft joints be placed because where we have dissimilar materials in conjunction with each other, we actually have different types of movement. And so if they're pressing or creating pressure on each other, that sometimes will cause delamination of the actual assembly. Mm, okay. And then uh, does that also include uh, the the spacing within, you know, every 12 feet? Uh, you know, I mean, that's that's a real hot topic um, and, and uh, highly debated as, uh, you know, still to this day. It's highly debated still to this day. And it's a topic that's probably another podcast, probably another two and a half podcasts. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, because you can go into it where the size of the joint that's required and then you've got the design element. And I know you very well. And I've seen your projects. And if I asked your tile setter, when I walked down to the pool and I said, Jimmy, I, we need an expansion joint three-eighths of an inch on an offset glass tile every eight feet through the entire assembly, nobody's going to want that. It's an eyesore. It's an, yeah, you notice it. You're going to see it from 200 feet away. Mm-hmm. So I kind of take it a little differently, and we can go into that at a different time, but do have some theories on that that really don't involve waterproofing so um but the non-optional basically in tcna is you always start with a cementitious waterproofing okay 
Uh, and and just finishing up on the uh, on the the what do we call it the, the expansion joint? Yeah, the expansion joint. Um, so just finishing up on the expansion joint, um, you know, where we always do it, it's non-negotiable for us, is between the bottom of the coping and the top of the tile. The because you have differential, potential differential movement, even if that the concrete uh, is, is, say, a poured-in-place concrete that's pinned into the beam, you still are going to get different thermal values uh, up in there. And so, um, you know, at the very top joint, we don't grout that. That always becomes a flexible joint right up there. And that's actually a non-negotiable. That, that's actually written as what we call the, the tile-to-coping interface. And then there's also an additional one, depending on what you're doing. Um, but the second one that's really not negotiable is actually the coping-to-deck interface. Well, yeah, exactly. Uh, that's that's picked up by most engineers, and I do believe that the industry has done a fairly good job of that. Yeah, you'll get the sloppy people that don't necessarily do it, or the concrete guy that pours up to the beam. Uh, but uh, if there is one thing that I feel like the industry has has really taken into understanding, it's that joint right there. Right. Two different planes, two different values, most likely two different materials, and that is where we have a lot of pressure and a lot of stress on the actual pool so that is really a non-negotiable what's your thoughts on uh, say an infinity edge right at the very nose of the infinity edge absolutely at, at, yeah yeah because you've got and that one is because you've got a difference of plane um you know what you've got a plane change right there right changes in plane so i always kind of describe it when i look at a pool i'm looking for 90s dissimilar material and changes in plane there you go yep okay so um Let's start uh, just at the very beginning. Uh, so protectants and sealants uh, is kind of what we're defining here. We're not really uh, talking too much about waterproofing. Uh, you know, those are the, more of the terms. <laughs> Sorry, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so when we talk about that, and we've actually classified them as treatments because they actually have a lot of value as far as treating the structure of the pool. So as a corrosion inhibitor, for mm -hmm. example. Um, they will help m mitigate the transmission of moisture from the negative to the positive side, but have not been, you know, found to be completely damp proof. So I've never put them into the category, but we've always kind of agreed that they're a great treatment and a great protectant. Sure. Now, uh, so when I started dabbling in waterproofing, uh, as I started to get more complex in projects and everything, uh, we had a lot of integral waterproofing. Um, and that has changed in even in the last like five years. You know, some of the Kryton and, and Zypex and some of those that were batch mixed into the shotcrete matrix itself, um, you know, that was that was pretty big you know, 10 years ago-ish as, as waterproofing was kind of growing within the industry. But uh, explain explain why we're moving away from those now well we still see it in specs to this day i mean you'll see it written into a lot of specs for shotcrete especially on pools above structure mm -hmm. um, the way the reason we're getting away with it is because over time we've seen it to cause or be a determining factor in some delaminations of you know rigid waterproofing cementitious plaster things like that um forms hard crystals and those crystals become a bond breaker to make it real simple yeah, and and my understanding of it too is as the as you get water transmission within the shell, these products will re-energize. Uh, they will re they will come back to life and start to build the crystal matrix again over time. Over time, and the easy term to use would be grow. Yeah, yeah, and and at some point, if you haven't taken care of the water 
penetration issue. As those continue to grow, you're basically growing salt crystals within there, and uh, you know, long term, it can start pushing off your your finishes. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, from there. Um, uh, that's kind of the, the industry has kind of moved on from that, uh, but but what's kind of coming behind it is now your your spray applied your colloidal silicate. So uh, and and that's that's what you were just referring to. That is now a part of P six O two. Correct. It's actually maybe um, the reason they put it in there is because we're seeing more of the industry go to using this as a protectant and treatment. So we, needs to be in there. It belongs in there. Um, I believe it has real value. Yeah. Um, Explain what it is. So, for people that don't understand, so the the, the brand names uh, out there: Acuron, Aquablock, um, uh, Basecrete Plus. There's a number of different materials out there. Right. The ones that we found work really well in pools are the hydrogels, and these are actually not forming the crystals. They actually form the gels, um, and they actually in in bond strength tents, testing they have shown to provide a little more bond strength to the materials that are applied over them mm. because they're actually forming a gel and pulling down the material so most of the rigid waterproofings are mixed with water we know the hydrogels react with water sure so it actually creates a little bit you know of a bonding enhancement Okay, and those are typically applied uh, to the raw shell. Uh, the earlier, the better. Uh, after you know, during the first couple of days of after it's shot, there there uh, is is kind of when you get the most bang for your buck. Right, and I think that needs to be stated clearly. Is that when we first started doing the colloidal silicates, we weren't spraying them within you know a window of seventy two hours. We were actually waiting twenty eight days to go to full cure. Mm or what we determine as, as cure. Um, now, actually most of the manufacturers have found that it's better to actually treat the shell, you know, within the first 72 hours. Yeah, and the, some of the other benefits, um, I don't know if they're scientifically proven, but um, it, it increases the strength of the shell, uh, and it, it, it's not a full-blown curing agent, uh, but my understanding is it holds the moisture into the shell uh, because it gels up within the concrete matrix. And so that's how you're ending up with the extra strength. And it's it's slowing that curing process down. And, and I might be... It's allowing it to hydrate. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, we found that spraying it sooner actually is a benefit to the matrix of either the shotcrete or the gunite. Yeah. Okay, so the next step on from that uh, is going to be, um, well, not next step, but the, the next term. Well, the term. first step, right. Yeah, that's the first term. Uh, the next term that, that we want to talk about is rigid cementitious. Uh, you know, your simple, single component, uh, um, uh, the brand names that everybody's familiar with, Thoroseal, Super Blockade, even Hydroband cementitious, uh, some of those. So let's define those a little bit and where they are and are not appropriate. Well, they're actually appropriate. I mean, per TCNA P602, if we're using tile or stone on the application, that has to be applied to the fir to the actual shell. Okay. All right, before your floats. Before our floats. But that would be a rigid waterproofing against a rigid shell. So those are typically going to be a bag mix, just added water, two-coat application straight onto the gunite or shotcrete. Um, the names that you, those are exactly cementitious waterproofings. 
Yeah, some of the things that you got to be careful of, um, you know, I know for many years, ThoroughSeal uh, said that you could not use them in a submerged application. They've just re-changed their specification uh, to allow it to be used submerged. Um, but, um, you know, another product like Super Blockade has a negative value. Um, they're, they're okay with negative value, whereas ThoroughSeal, I haven't seen the new spec, whether they're okay, where we know we have negative pressure. So you really have to start to get into the data sheets and understand what you're putting in and whether it's going to be appropriate or not. Correct. And one thing that I always I point out and I and I talk to people about is always go if you have a question, go to the manufacturer and ask them specifically, but even better and for to protect yourself from liability is actually get it in writing. Send them an email and get them to respond in writing to you to actually protect you. Um, one thing with the pool industry is is I think manufacturers sometimes have get outs. And you want to make sure that you have a paper trail back to, you know, them telling you that it is okay for this specific usage. And I used to always use the, the word submerged application. Mm -hmm. um, some companies will say, oh, no, it's great above the waterline, but a waterline is actually half submerged, half dry. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and so even if we're not talking all tile, uh, virtually 99.9% .9 of the pools built out there the tile is in a submerged condition at some point within the within the shell itself. Correct. Yeah. So that's a very important definition as you're talking to to manufacturers and kind of defining where you're utilizing it. Yeah. Um, all right, the next term I want to kind of discuss, uh, fluid applied single component. Uh, this is going to be your... Uh, basically, your membranes, your hydroband, your red guard, um, elastic coat, uh, MAPE has their aqua defense, tech has hydroflex. This is kind of what everybody, I think, in the industry really kind of thinks as the waterproofing. Um, damp proofing. Damp proofing. Um, so this is this is sort of what everybody kind of the, the the visual that everybody kind of has. Well, you know, the green, the red, the purple. You know, whatever color that membrane happens to be from the manufacturers. Right and quite a few misconceptions around this type of product, which is the, the fluid-applied elastomerics is, is what we would call them. They're basically roll on, put them over your bond, you know, over over your mortar bed, and hope for the best. Um, the reason I say that is because most manufacturers do not, they will not actually allow them in a partially clad application. And they use the word clad, um, which is just a term for meaning it's either all tile or waterline. Right. Right, and and so this is. I feel like in the last three years, this were were the manufacturers have turned a corner, and the industry has not necessarily caught up on this one because this is still, I, I would say, the most utilized waterproofing, damp proofing uh, system out there. Yet very few pools. Um, are all tile and and so when it's not an all tile pool these are actually most of the manufacturers will walk away from any sort of warranty correct actually if you go back with one of the manufacturers they actually stopped the recommendation and partially clad pools for water lines back in 2012 okay so we're seven years into that now we're seven years into that yeah. and it's still being used on a daily basis mm -hmm. um and then being sold People will sell it for that application as well, yet if you go back and look at the information, 
they stopped the recommending it for submerged applications as far back as 2012. Yeah, and and we just had a pretty big discussion on the Facebook page about this, and and somebody was kind of pressing into it and wanting to understand. And uh, the the way I defined it, and the way it kind of the light bulb went off in my head is that. Um, you know the the water your your toughest interface uh, in my opinion is is where the plaster and the tile meet uh, and and getting that completely watertight is is a very tough area in the pool and so uh, you have to almost assume that you're going to get water passing through there and and at that point if you're getting the water passing through uh, generally your fluid applied is not wrapping around and so you're getting the your float uh, the float bed is getting saturated and once that's saturated it just pushes the membrane material whatever it is no matter how good it is it pushes it right off this is a great topic because when I actually first looked at P602 um, and looked at the actual different layers and I saw the open-ended mortar bed at the bottom and I said, wait a sec, we're putting a non-permeable membrane, which is a fluid applied, right on top of a mortar bed that through the process of wicking or moisture transmission from a submerged application is going to pull behind it being non-permeable, they're actually going to fail. Mm-hmm. So in the actual standard they do not encapsulate the mortar bed. So I will tell you that there's a lot of people out there that are talking about now having a fully clad or all-tile pool standard versus a wa- just a water line. Because in just a water line, encapsulating that mortar bed is crucial. Critical, it's, yeah. It's critical, yeah. Yeah, because that is the toughest place to to get a good bond right there. You know, I mean, if you've ever watched a pool be plastered, you know, the plaster is, he's pulling it up there and just just general gravity. That plaster is always wanting to pull down and pull away. And, you know, uh, and plasters do a great job and and that. But it just basic physics tells you that, you know, around a whole hundred perimeter feet of a standard size pool, they're, they're likely going to have some areas where they've got a little bit. Even the best plasters in the world, you're, you're not going to get that perfect. Uh, and, and if you do in one job, the likelihood of getting that perfect in every job. And that's not a slam on the plaster industry in any way. It's just kind of the nature and the reality of what we have. It's actually it goes to the point of what, what I would call a cold joint because there's no way to actually get those two to be seamless. Mm-hmm. So you're always going to have a cold joint, which is always going to be a path for transmission of water or vapor. Yeah. So that's always going to be there. And then we've left that in the tile industry open-ended, which I could never understand. But I, I do see a big push in the industry to actually start encapsulating that. Um, I know that a couple of the setting material manufacturers are actually getting ready to, they, they're actually testing it. Okay. Um, and they actually believe in it. Okay. So that's... Um kind of fluid applied, what everybody thinks of as waterproofing, which we're now calling damp proofing. Uh, so the, the next component, kind of the what's what's really seems to be growing right now is your highly modified uh, multi-component um, uh, products like basecrete, flexcrete, uh, membrane C, some of those type of products. Um, they're they're kind of the the next wave of where we're moving in the water in the, sorry, the damp proofing. The damp proofing. Yeah. <laughs> We, and great, we we do have to start using that the correct terminology, but they've actually been around. I want to say back probably two thousand two thousand ten two thousand twelve. Well, and even I mean, uh, basecrete's been around even longer than oh, that. they've been around for. I mean, Vito holds a ton of patents in the pool industry. Sure, um, he's been around a long time. Yeah. Um, 
when you do look at at the actual highly flexible cementitious membranes, they're a dual component product, meaning part polymer, which is a highly modified polymer, and a bag of cement. Okay. Um, normally, the cement side isn't modified. On some manufacturers, it can be, but mixing the two together forms that highly cementitious, which is also a highly compatible product with the setting materials that we're using today. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you got your, uh, you know, uh, Laticrete 254. You got your Tech Superflex. You know, you've got some of these really, really um, highly flexible thin sets that are being specified and used, and and to be putting that up against a fully rigid system, uh, you know, you, 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 it's going to give somewhere. We'd be foolish in the industry to think that movement doesn't happen in pools. Exactly, but it does. Yeah, not and, just here in California where we have earthquakes. No, it, I mean, there's other states where actually it it could be worse based on the climatic conditions. Um, I've been down in Florida and the you know it's a hundred degrees, ninety percent relative humidity. Yeah, and that is that's tough to deal with. Well, um, you know, uh, one of our founders, Rick, you know, he's out in the desert and you know it could be a hundred and twelve outside, but you got that sun baking on your, you know, your black granite. You know that can be 140, 150, 160 degrees, and then then you're coming back and and pouring 90 degree water over it say on an infinity edge or a you know a spot overflow so you're going through rapid heat change so let's talk a little bit about that thermal shock and and really uh, define what you mean by movement because people people don't necessarily think of those kind of things as movement well thermal shock that's that's a thermal value that we that we actually, the movement is actually expansion and contraction. Mm -hmm. It could be due to water absorption, can be, with glass, it's actually expansion and contraction because that's a characteristic and attribute of glass tile. Okay. All glass expands, mm -hmm. whether it's in your car window or a, or a house. So yeah. glass is going to expand and contract and move. So therefore, having a flexible membrane behind it has always made a little more sense to me because something's got to take up that movement right. and help with it. With the rigids, if something moves, they're usually going to to form a you know a small shrinkage crack, or they're going to move, and they're going to actually that crack will transmit through the whole assembly. Um, what I would say is is with the highly flexible cementitious membranes, you stand a greater chance of success because there is a lot of movement in a pool. Let's just I don't know you know we build in clay out here. Texas I think is all clay. Mm -hmm. Um, when you're in clay, that's all, if it's a moist season, that clay is going to expand and contract and that pool shell is going to move. Yeah. Yeah. You'll get flex of the shell itself. Right. And you'll get flex of the shell, but we're talking about thermal movement, which is thermal shock, which is a differentiation in temperature. It's kind of, we, we talk about jumping, you know, into a cold pool or like a plunge. Mm -hmm. Kind of the same effect is that you're going from fully expanded than dropping into a plunge effect or a frozen type atmosphere and you're going to contract rapidly yeah yeah you're taking that that 150 degree surface and and dropping it potentially 60 degrees instantly uh you know right on the surface and so you know it's it it's why we put expansion joints in decks it's why you have all of that you know the uh, i remember um Early on, even before I started doing this, you look at uh, you know something like DecoSeal and and why they have those, and and I remember some of the calculations of how much just a slab on grade will expand in the sunlight, and um, I remember it was like three quarters of an inch or something over, you know, a, a certain, certain yeah, and mm -hmm. and 
you know, to think about three quarters of an inch of movement just in your concrete deck, you know, yeah, it, it, it makes sense. And that's, you know, we have darker materials that we're using in a pool. Generally, you're not doing a black, you know, a black deck, but you may be doing black tile, black porcelain, black granite, things like that. Right. And you and I have talked quite a bit in length about when we have those type of situations, we try to control them as much as possible. Yeah. And I know you and I have talked about setting the run times to coincide with the time when it's most vulnerable to thermal exposure. Yeah. So I know you, and you set your run times from sunup to sundown. Which is really nice. A lot of the new controllers, you can actually choose sunup to sundown, and they're all smart-based controllers. And so they're actually tweaking the programs for the industry based on the date and the, uh, you know, you put in where you live, and they're pulling the historical data so they actually know. So it's really nice now we can actually go in and set, you know, turn on at sunrise, turn off at sunset, and the, the client's not having to modify that program throughout the year. And that's so valuable. I mean, I think about it a lot because when I go to a failure, I kind of look to see you know, I'll actually go and look at the automation to see what the run times are exactly. set at. Yeah. Um, people kind of look at you funny when the first place you go to is the control panel, but I want to see what the run times are because they do have an effect on the assembly. Yep. Um, all right, we're getting close to time okay. here, but the biggest thing and and the the horse that I'm sitting on right now is CSP. And talk to me about that because I feel like. Uh, waterproofing is a tough enough thing to do properly and to get your get everything prepped but the biggest thing that I feel that is is being missed by most everyone is CSP so can you define that term and and uh, you know because I, I, I venture to say most people don't even know what that means right and CSP is actually adopted from the International Concrete Repair Institute and it's actually a profile of the concrete so it goes from like a ground being a number one, which would be just taking your grinder on a piece of concrete and sliding it across and just kind of etching the surface all the way to an eight, nine, and 10. Okay. Which so, is an aggressive, almost scarified type of profile. Yeah, so CSP stands for Concrete, concrete. Surface Profile. Uh, and and the reason why I feel like it's, it's so abused is that, or, or just not even abused, just misunderstood. Um, you get companies that do their their initial float and they get that nice and buttery smooth and they get it perfect perfect uh, but in the reality is is that if that profile is not rough enough the 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 waterproofing the damp proofing is not going to actually stick to you're, it you're getting better I'm, I'm trying <laughs> so uh, but yeah it doesn't stick and so that becomes your delamination point uh, in a lot of a lot of cases right because if you're too slick we really can't bond to it so what we look at when we're talking about plane on plane bonding is i always look at at what my bonding attributes are going to be whether it's concrete surface profile or you know a chemical bond am i compatible with the product am i going to bond to it and then always want the best mechanical profile because that's going to help you actually you know create a better bond you, actually the the rougher the surface the better sure to a point and then we start getting differential thickness of materials, and, and, and it's to a point. Now, every manufacturer will usually understand what CSP is, and they can give you that for each bonding plane. Yeah, it's definitely something you need to be asking. Um, you know, we're on a job actually right now where uh, the, uh, the, the, we're not doing the, the finishes, uh, but they came and they floated the entire pool, uh, and, and they're getting ready. We're getting ready to, to put the, 
waterproofing, uh, the damp proofing agent onto it. Uh, and so, um, you know, multi-million dollar estate. Uh, so we had the rep for the company come out and he looked at it and said, you know, there's probably about 25% of this that's too smooth. So we had to call the, the prep company back out and, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal. They just did a, a, a skim coat, kind of did a light broom over the top of everything to give us that CSP3 that this manufacturer was calling for. And now we can go in, that was done last week. Uh, so now we're looking at it today and we're going to start the waterproofing, uh, the damp proofing, damp proofing. Um, uh, installation tomorrow. Right. It's kind of hard to get off the damp proofing because everybody calls their product a waterproofing. Yeah. So let's try, we're going to try to change the conversation over the next few years. It's going to take time. Sure. But I think as an industry, we should kind of lead the charge. Um, concrete pro surface profile actually, in my opinion, starts at a CSP or a minimum of CSP of three. Yep. Yep. And, and just the different numbers just kind of define uh, a CSP1 is going to be very, very smooth, whereas CSP8 is going to be almost like broken concrete. I mean, it, it's very, very rough. It's going to be like a three-quarter inch rock next to a three-quarter inch rock. Yeah. It's very aggressive. Um, if you do have questions about that, the actual chipset is available through the ICRI. You can go online and you can actually buy them. Mm -hmm. So if you have any questions, you can just actually compare the chip to the actual yeah, it's pretty cool. I don't have a set, but uh, one of my buddies has one, and we borrow it from him regularly. So you can actually take a physical sample out to the site and compare it to what you have to understand really where it should be at. And sometimes it's good practice to take a photo. Yep. All right. Um, well, we this is just part one. Um, you know, what are some of the other things that as we're going to, you know, record some other podcasts, I know uh, kind of the next one that I want to talk about is really getting more into thermal shock and mesh back tile and epoxy versus cementitious setting beds and uh, really dive a little deeper into some of the TCNA stuff. But as a waterproofing guy and a, and a technical writer for a tile company, um, what are some of the things that, that, you, that, that you see that we're going to cover? that uh, just to kind of preview some of our future episodes I'd really like to do an episode on the systems approach okay okay staying with you know single single manufacturers as, as few as possible sure um, I'd like to talk a lot about liability about how to protect yourself as a pool builder from liability when working with a waterproofing project and then talk about primary secondary and even a backup to your system belt and suspenders exactly Okay, perfect. Well, uh, thank you so much for kind of helping us define some of the terms and, and uh, definitely stay tuned. Uh, like I said, there's going to be a multi-part um, series that we're going to do on waterproofing. And, uh, and as always, Ken, thank you for kind of coming out here to California and sitting down with me and, and shooting the breeze. Oh, it's been a pleasure, Dave. Thank you for having me. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to the Awesome Masters podcast, and don't forget to check out our Facebook page each week on Tuesdays for new episodes of the show. I also want to encourage you to stop by the Ask the Masters Facebook page and invite other like-minded individuals to join us there as well. Feel free to jump into the conversations and even post your own questions. We want to create a community which fosters learning and discovery for the betterment of us all. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify please be sure to subscribe and feel free to share 